All right, well, good morning again. Uh, today, of course, is the high point of the Christian calendar, the day when we celebrate that Jesus rose from the dead. This is a day when um, many people are in church who aren't normally in church, uh, just because this, this event of Jesus rising from the dead has reverberated in such a powerful way that it even gets people out of bed and into church who normally wouldn't be here. <laughs> and if that's you, that's awesome. We're, we're so glad uh, that you are here. Now, the truth is that the resurrection is an event <clears throat> that we really should be celebrating every day. Uh, if we really believe in the resurrection, it is something that is so life-changing and so world-altering that it, it should be something that uh, affects our perspective, affects our lives all 365 days of the year. That said, I don't think that we need to be anti-holiday. Uh, holidays are a good thing because they're, they're reminders of us for how we should orient our lives for the next 364 days. So I think they have a, a good purpose and God can use them. And, and Easter is, is one of the tools that God uses to remind us of some glorious truths. So as Keith said earlier, over the last couple months, we've been going through a series uh, called Messages in the Miracles, where we've been looking at Jesus's miraculous signs in the Gospel of John. And today we've come to the greatest miracle of all, the one that all these miracles culminate in, which is the resurrection. And I have to confess, that as I reflected this week on the resurrection, and I asked myself the question that I've been asking about all these miracles, which is, what are the messages that God is communicating through this miracle? I felt overwhelmed. Because the resurrection has so many implications uh, that affect so many areas of our lives that it's hard to even know where to start. Like, there's so many messages contained in the miracle of the resurrection. So I'm not going to be able to fully do it justice this morning, but I'm going to try to identify what I believe are, are the primary messages that come through this incredible miracle of the resurrection. But before we get into that, I'd like to, us to try and put ourselves in the moment of this miracle. So if you have a Bible, uh, turn to Luke 24, starting in verse 1. Uh, Luke 24, starting in verse 1. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you when he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. All right, if you're taking notes uh, in your outline, I have a list of four messages in this miracle. And the first message that I want us to see is that the, the, the miracle of the resurrection shows that Jesus is vindicated. Jesus is vindicated. Now, what does that mean, vindicated? Well, it means that Jesus is proven right. You know, when you and your friend are having an argument about some little detail, and then one of you finally Googles it, 
and you end up being the one that was right, you can say, I was vindicated, right? Um, the resurrection is like that for Jesus, but it helps to, to vindicate everything that Jesus has taught and said. Uh, now, why does the resurrection vindicate Jesus? Why does it prove him right? Well I, well, I see three reasons why, okay? The first reason is because it shows that what Jesus said was going to happen, happened, right? As the angel says, remember how he told you. Jesus said this was going to happen. He said he was going to be crucified, and he said that he would rise from the dead. So Jesus is vindicated because the resurrection proves what Jesus says is true. His word is trustworthy. And the second reason that the resurrection proves that Jesus is right is because it shows that God's approval is on Jesus. If you were here on Friday night, you know we, we commemorated the moment of Jesus' crucifixion. And if you had been a good Jew... Uh, living between in the couple of days between the crucifixion of Jesus and the resurrection, in, be in, in, in between Friday and Saturday and Sunday, you would be thinking that Jesus had been utterly rejected by, by God. <clears throat> you would have thought, well, he seemed like he was a man of God, but the way he died, there's just no way that a man of God would die that way. See, in the Old Testament, there was a verse uh, that says, cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. And that is what happened to Jesus, right? He hung on a tree. He hung on the cross. And so the Jews would have been looking at that event and saying, regardless of what we thought about Jesus, regardless if we thought that he was the Messiah, he hung on a tree, which means God cursed him. God, that would be a sign that God rejected him, his teaching, his approval was not on him. But, the moment of the resurrection would have compelled them to reevaluate all of that. Yes, Jesus died like a man cursed by God, but he's returned in a way that only a man blessed by God could. Okay. And then the third way that the resurrection Jesus vindicates, uh, vin the, the third way the resurrection vindicates Jesus, and this is so obvious, I don't even know why I'm bothering to say it, is because um, it's incredible, right? <laughs> It's amazing. People don't come back from the dead, but Jesus did. And so this miracle helps to validate every single thing that Jesus said. I like to say that, you know, if I met somebody in Starbucks who claimed to be God in the flesh, I'd be pretty skeptical. You know, I, I would have a very hard time taking that person seriously. But if that person died, and then a week later they were back in Starbucks, I'd be like, well, I'm going to have to reconsider this right? Uh, Jesus made incredible claims of power and authority and of oneness with God. And if he had been crucified and that was just where the story ended, well, then it would be easy to dismiss those claims. But the resurrection forces us to take those claims seriously. Now, I don't know if we have any skeptics in the room this morning. I actually hope we do. Uh, but I realize that if you belong to that category, you're probably thinking something like this, which is, okay, I agree that if the resurrection happened, if Jesus came back from the dead, uh, that would compel me to take Jesus' claims more seriously. But where's the proof that it actually happened? And if that's you, I have a couple things to say. The first thing is, thanks for being here. I'm so glad you're here. Uh, and... <laughs> The second thing is, I wish you had been here last year, 
<laughs> because last year, the whole message for Easter was on why believe that the resurrection actually happened. Um, and I didn't want to repeat the same message this year. So uh, I, what I did last year was I did my best to present a, a quick version of the rational case for why we should believe that the resurrection is a, a literal historical event, that there's good reasons to actually believe that it happened. Because I do believe that God has orchestrated history such that if we honestly seek evidence that the resurrection happened, there are some very good and compelling reasons to believe that it was a historical event, uh, reasons that are based in history and in logic and rationality. It can't be proven beyond a shadow of a doubt, just like no event from history can be proven beyond a shadow of a doubt. But there is a compelling case to be made. And if you're interested in hearing about that case, there's actually a lot of resources that you can go to that are really good. And if you want a really quick synopsis, I would recommend going to our podcast and listening to the sermon from last year. It was called The Reality of the Resurrection. Uh, but if you want to hear a more detailed case from someone who is older and wiser and more academically credentialed than me, I recommend reading something by this guy named uh, Gary R. Habermas. Uh, he is by no means the only person that has written stuff about reasons to believe in the resurrection, but I think he's a particularly good one. And you can see on the screen here, this is one of the books by him, The Case for the Resurrection of Jesus. And uh, what I appreciate about Habermas's approach is he, he uses an argument known as the minimal facts approach, which is what he does is he only assumes the facts, the historical facts about Jesus that scholars widely agree on, whether they are Christian or not. Okay, whether they are theist or atheist, there are certain facts that people generally agree upon when they're talking about the life of Jesus. And then he presents those facts, and then he, he argues for why the resurrection is the most reasonable conclusion from the facts that everybody already agrees on. So if you're interested in exploring this question more, is there evidence that this resurrection of Jesus actually happened? I definitely recommend checking out his work. But for any of us here who just might want a little bit more evidence this morning, a little bit more reason to take this seriously because it seems really crazy to believe that a guy came back from the dead, I just want to uh, present two points that I presented last year really quick. Uh, the first point I made last year and that I want to emphasize again is the stories of the resurrection in the Gospels are not the kind of stories that people would have made up. Uh, last year I said over and over again, if you were making up a story, this is not the kind of story that you would make up. Uh, if a bunch of people got together and tried to fabricate accounts uh, of Jesus' resurrection, this would just not be very good propaganda. And I'm not going to explain that, why that is right now, but I, I assure you that if you wanted to fabricate accounts, these are not the kind of accounts that you would come up with. And then a second key point in my argument is that the people who first spread the news about the resurrection didn't benefit from it, and in some cases were killed for it. So if they were fabricating these counts, I don't know what their motivation was, because it didn't benefit them in a worldly sense uh, at all. Uh, so if you have trouble taking the resurrection seriously, I encourage you to start with those two points, and then, if you're curious, keep seeking uh, keep exploring. What I encourage you not to say is, well, people don't come back from the dead. We know that from science now. Uh, 
Uh, so obviously the resurrection didn't happen. First of all, you don't need a developed sense of the scientific method to know that people don't come back from the dead. Okay, that people in the ancient world were just as aware of that as we are too. They could see just as well, people who are dead stay dead, right? And second, the whole point of the resurrection it is, is that it is not what ordinarily happens. It is a miracle. The question is not whether or not the resurrection conforms to the ordinary laws of nature. It doesn't. That's the whole point. The question is whether or not there are reasons to believe that there was an occurrence of a break in the ordinary laws of nature. And I believe that, again, God has orchestrated history such that if we honestly pursue uh, the evidence, if we honestly look at it, we can find some very compelling reasons to believe that the resurrection was an actual historical event. Okay, so, first message in the miracle, Jesus is vindicated, uh, which has so many implications because it means that everything that Jesus said now has this greater weight and significance to it because he came back from the dead. So whether it's an ethical teaching or a prophecy about the future or a claim to his own divinity and authority, all of that has to be taken more seriously because Jesus has risen from the dead. Second message in the miracle, Jesus is stronger. Jesus is stronger. Now you might be wondering, well, finish the sentence, stronger than what? Well, I say pick a noun, any noun. <laughs> you can put it there, and it works. Uh, I mean, the only noun that probably wouldn't work is God, but that's because it wouldn't make any sense, because Jesus is God, so you, you can't say God is stronger than God. But basically, any other, other noun other than that works. Jesus is stronger. Because the resurrection shows us that Jesus is stronger than the force that seems stronger than anything, right? Stronger than death. Uh, I talked about this two weeks ago when we looked at the raising of Lazarus. To an unbiased observer of the world, nothing is stronger than death, right? Death is like a force that just eats up everything, if you fast forward from one point in history to 120 years later, entire cast of characters is different, right? It doesn't matter uh, what your ethnicity is, how well you live your life, how moral you are, whatever, death eventually happens, right? So it seems like death is a force that no one and nothing uh, can resist forever. But the resurrection of Jesus tells us a different story. It tells us that death is not the strongest thing. And what I want us to see is that the reason Jesus is stronger than death is because Jesus is stronger than sin. Uh, in the Bible, there's this connection that is emphasized over and over again between sin and death. Uh, in the very first book of the Bible, the story of Adam and Eve God tells Adam and Eve not to eat from one tree in the garden, right? He gives them an incredible array of things to enjoy, but he says there's this one tree that you shouldn't, you shouldn't eat from. And he tells them that if they eat of it, they will surely die. Uh, and so we see there this connection between, between sin, which is disobeying God's law, and death. Because, of course, Adam and Eve do break that prohibition. They do break God's law. And then what happens? Well, they eventually die. So there's this connection between sin and death. And the Apostle Paul made the same connection as well. In uh, the New Testament, Romans 5.12, he wrote, 
death came to all men because all sinned. So death is not God's intended design for human life. But because of sin, death has entered the world. And because all of us sin to some extent, all of us die. So when Jesus resurrects, it's proof not only that he is stronger than death, but that he is stronger than sin. And what I mean by that is it's, it's proof that Jesus has lived a truly righteous life. That he's lived a life that is free from sin. Because if he had sin in his life, then death would have had power over him. Death would have had the ability to hold him down, right? But death couldn't hold him down because he was without sin. And that means that if we want to know what a truly good life looks like, a truly righteous life, we can't do better than the model of Jesus. Because his life was so perfect that the curse of death had no hold on him. So Jesus is stronger than, than sin, and because he's stronger than sin, he's stronger than death. And that makes him stronger than anything. That's the second message. Third message in the miracle is Jesus is redeeming both the physical and the spiritual. Jesus is redeeming both the physical and the spiritual. Now, I think we need to take a, a moment to identify what, what this actually means here. Okay, We need to talk about the word redemption, redeeming. What does it mean to redeem? What's, what is redemption? Well, redemption is the opposite of condemnation. And I think the best way to understand these two concepts is to envision a very old, dilapidated house. You know, a house that's starting to fall down. Um, maybe it once looked really beautiful, but it's a mess right now. It's been neglected. The roof is leaking, and it's covered in moss. The paint is peeling. Um, there's roaches and mice in the kitchen cabinets. Uh, and the, the very structural integrity of the house is in question, right? Some of the main beams are rotting. And when a building reaches that state of disrepair, it's common for that building to be officially recognized by some authority as condemned, right? And what that means is this building is no longer fit for use, right? It's not good for anything. It's a hazard. Stay out of it. It's done. It's condemned. But let's imagine that there's someone who really loves this old house. You know, they, uh, maybe they have some nostalgic attachment to it, and they also have a lot of money. And so they pour their money into that house, they hire the best contractors that they can possibly find, and they make that house beautiful. That's redemption, okay? Uh, condemnation is when something is no longer fit for use, and redemption is when something that might as well just be thrown out, uh, destroyed, is made usable again. It's when something is saved rather than destroyed. It's when something is saved and made beautiful. And what we need to realize is that we are all like that house. And God doesn't want us to be condemned. Even though there's an argument to be made that the structural integrity of us is messed up enough that you might as well just knock us down. But God doesn't want to do that. God wants to turn that house into a home. And so what does he do? He pays the high price to redeem us. The price is beyond what any reasonable person would pay to fix the house. 
but he pays the price. And he pays for it with the only thing that can pay for it, which is the most valuable thing in the world, which is the life of his son, the life of Jesus Christ. And so when Jesus died on the cross, he paid the price for that redemption. And the resurrection is the sign that it worked. 1 Corinthians 15.20 says, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. Now that term, firstfruits, that's an agricultural term. And it refers to um, the first produce of a yearly crop. So what Paul is saying here is Jesus Christ is like the first produce from a yearly crop, which means that there's a bunch more people that are going to be resurrected too. He's the first resurrection, but there's more coming. He has conquered death first. He's paid the price for our redemption. And that means that in the future, if our faith is in him, we also will be resurrected. He's the first fruits. We are the rest of the crop. Okay, so now that we've laid some of that groundwork, let's uh, look at the, the message again. Okay, Jesus is redeeming both the physical and the spiritual. So redemption, okay, think of the condemned house, then think of it being made beautiful again, okay? He wants to make things beautiful for us, both spiritually and physically. And the resurrection shows that to us. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, usually when we think of ourselves as being redeemed by God, we think of the redemption purely in spiritual terms. Uh, We think of God saving our souls, right? Cleansing our souls. And that is so part of redemption. That's definitely part of redemption. That's essential. But one of the great messages of the resurrection that should, should give us so much hope and joy is that it shows us that God doesn't just want to save our souls. He wants to save our physical bodies as well. And the way we know that is because when Jesus comes back from the dead, he doesn't come back as a ghost, right? He doesn't come back as some floaty uh, spirit. He comes back as someone with a body, someone with a physical body. Luke's account really emphasizes this point. There's a passage that I love here, uh, starting in verse 37 in chapter 24. Uh, It says, The disciples were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I, myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet, and while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. I love that Jesus has just come back from the dead, I mean, the most incredible event in human history, and one of the first things he says to his disciples is, can I get some food? You know, the reason... Jesus wants food is because he is a flesh and blood being. You know, he's physical, he eats, he can be touched. So if Jesus is the first fruits, if he's an example of what we have to look forward to, then the redemption that he's purchased for us is not just a spiritual redemption, 
uh, it's a physical redemption. It's not just a redemption so that we can, in the future, float around in some sort of ethereal, mystical realm. You know, God wants to redeem us physically. He wants us to be able to feel a summer breeze. He wants us to be able to smell the ocean. He wants us to be able to savor a really great meal. He wants us to be able to experience creation the way that it was meant to be experienced, which is physically in a body. And that is, I think that's just such great news because that is really what our our hearts crave, you know. We we don't want to just go off to some sort of floaty realm, you know. We want to experience fullness of life, and that includes a body. That includes being physical. And it's good news because it also means if you're getting older and your body's not working the way that it used to, and you think, man, my body's headed for complete condemnation, not fit for use anymore. Um, If you think that, you don't have to despair about losing your physicality forever. Because through Jesus, you're not going to lose your physicality forever. You should remind yourself, hey, Jesus' body was flogged. It was crucified. There was a spear thrust through his side, and yet he ended up reconstituted, right? He ended up healed. So if you feel like your body's falling apart as you age, which I guarantee you it is, uh, you can have confidence that God has the power to reconstitute your body, no matter how messed up it's getting. Uh, Even if you die and your body decomposes, even if the atoms that make up your body right now go on to make up somebody else's body, somebody else's body, I guarantee you that through Jesus, your physicality can be reconstituted. You can be healed. Your body can be made new. How God is going to do that exactly, I don't know. That's a mystery. But the resurrection tells us that it's going to happen. And that we can have hope and confidence that somehow God has the power to reconstitute our bodies physically. That that is part of our redemption. And that's awesome. And finally, one more message in the miracle. And uh, this, this one is really something that can be deduced from all of the previous three. Uh, but it's significant enough that I really think it deserves its own Uh, item on this list, which is this. Jesus is the king of all. Jesus is the king of all. When the disciple Thomas realizes that it really is Jesus that's standing before him, the resurrected Jesus, he says to Jesus, my Lord and my God. See, he recognizes that Jesus has done something that only God alone could do. And so in that moment, he, he acknowledges Jesus as the king of all, as God himself. And that is so significant, because we might not realize this, but what Thomas is doing there is so countercultural. Okay, because he was a Jew, and good Jews were not inclined to see God as ever taking on human form. Right? Uh, Jews saw God as, as holy other, as transcendent. So the idea that, that God would be a person was just not really part of their way of thinking. 
And they were very guarded against idolatry, which was to worship anything created as the creator. But in this moment, Thomas is just so struck by what he's seeing that he realizes this is not just a created being before me. This is actually God in the flesh. And so he worships Jesus as Lord. And what I want us to see is the resurrection is such a big deal because it challenges us to recognize Jesus as king. It challenges us to say, my Lord and my God, when we see Jesus. And so I encourage you, if you have never really uh, acknowledged Jesus as my Lord and my God, think about doing that. Uh, If you feel like, I I need more evidence of this resurrection, well, I encourage you, start to pursue it. You know, Jesus says, seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. You know, start seeking if you're curious. Because coming to see Jesus, not just as a good moral teacher, but as my Lord and my God, that is the most life-transforming realization we can ever have. Let's pray. Lord, in our own experience, uh, we don't see people come back from the dead. And so when we hear that Jesus came back, it can be hard for us uh, to believe. But Lord, I pray that you would help us to see that that this miracle uh, is real. And it is the most life-transforming thing that we we can believe. Father, I pray that we would feel the joy of knowing uh, that you conquered death, you conquered sin, and that through, through you we can be redeemed. Uh, through, through you we don't have to be like that condemned house that eventually just falls apart and breaks down and never rises again, Lord. Through you uh, we can experience that redemption. We, be, we can become like that house uh, that is renewed and, and made beautiful and turned into a home. Lord, I thank you that you you don't just want to redeem our souls, uh, but you want to redeem our bodies too. That you want us to experience true fullness of life as you intended. And Father, I pray that each one of us would know the joy of having that hope in our lives and looking forward to the day uh, when we we can experience that resurrection uh, as well, just like Jesus did. In Jesus' name, amen.